Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Pastor Nick, how are you today, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to talk with you, Ed. It, it's great to have you. My guest today is Pastor Nick Harris. I was recently connected with Pastor Nick by a mutual friend, brother in Christ, and episode 16 guest, Richard Stewart, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. For the past 60-plus years, Pastor Nick has pastored churches in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Texas. Currently, he's the pastor of Bear Creek Baptist Church in Glen Heights, Texas, where he loves being a pastor, has a passion for the majesty and glory of God, a hunger for his word, and a longing to make disciples and equip disciple makers. I just love that. In 2022, he published a devotional commentary on the book of Proverbs called Posting Through Proverbs. He also posts a daily devotional and has a podcast called Nick Snacks. Love that name. I need to need to ask you about that, Pastor Nick. He's been married to his wife, Carol, for 58 years. They have three children, 10 grandchildren, and 13 great-grandchildren. Pastor Nick, your family took the Bible literally on be fruitful and multiply. How are you, sir? Uh, that's great. I tell you what, <clears throat> I love these great grandkids. We actually have 12 great grandkids and one more on the way. So I, I went ahead and said 13 because I count that one just as much as I do. Uh, the preborn are just as valuable to me as the ones that are already born. I hear that. And there are, there's a segment of contemporary culture that would absolutely disagree with you on that particular topic. Sure. We, we, we may explore that here in a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your background and where you ended up. I mean, you've been a pastor for 60 plus years. How did yeah. that all come, come about? Well, I started young. That's for sure. I grew up in Tennessee, uh, West Tennessee, a little town called Bolivar, uh, Hang on just one second. Okay. <clears throat> My dog. For those, for those of you who aren't watching this on YouTube, there was uh, Pastor Nick's dog walked behind him. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, Photobomb the, the, the podcast episode. Absolutely. She loves to get in on the action. Uh, yeah, I, I grew up in West Tennessee, a little town called Bolivar, Tennessee. And uh, my parents were, uh, uh, they were, I guess, typical uh, Southern folks, you know, wonderful. My mother was absolutely wonderful. She was a kind of a comedian and a musician. She was a cross between, uh, uh, Irma Bombeck and Minnie Pearl. And, uh, some of your, uh, writers won't even, know, I mean, readers won't even know who that is, but, uh, she was a funny person. My dad was a hard, hard worker. I rarely ever saw him because he worked so much. He probably today would be uh, diagnosed with PTSD. He was uh, he was in the Second World War and uh, fought. If you ever saw the movie Band of Brothers, uh, he was he was in that battalion. He was in that group of men that were uh, uh, that Band of Brothers. So he had a lot of uh, a lot of uh, I guess uh, emotional trauma as a result of things he saw in the military. He never would talk about it. 
And, uh, but, uh, he did start drinking when he was, when I was about 15 and, uh, and it was pretty tragic after that. He never really recovered. Uh, if I had known back then what I know now, I would have probably known how to help him, but I was just a kid myself. And so, uh, so that, that was pretty sad in a way, but, uh, uh, I, I, became a Christian when I was 17. I uh, was having a lot of anger issues in my own life, uh, and a lot of uh, depression and particularly anger, but with my dad and everything like that. And one night I went to bed and uh, uh, in my, well, actually earlier that day, I had seen an article in the newspaper that about a plane that had crashed and said a hundred and something people were killed. And I just said out loud, I said, well, I wish it had been a thousand. And when I said that, it was like I suddenly realized something was bad wrong with me wishing people to be killed, you know, and troubled me all the rest of that day. And then that night as I went to bed, uh, I just started crying. I was just absolutely brokenhearted over my, I felt like I was the worst person alive. And I prayed that night and said, Lord, show me how to love people. And in my heart's mind, I saw a picture of the cross. And it suddenly just became real to me that uh, that that's what love is, that God loved me that much. And if he loved me that much, I could love. And so that night, I, I actually trusted Christ. And uh, I was just instantly filled with his love. It was just amazing. I just uh, felt like a, a, an overflow of love gushed into my life. And uh, I, I got up the next morning, went in and told my mother, I said, mother, I love you. And she said, well, I, good. <laughs> my, brother, <laughs> my brother came in. I said, Don, I love you. And uh, he was kind of surprised at that, but he said, well, that's wonderful. I, I went off to school, started telling everybody I met, I love you. I even told Miss Elta Doris, my old mean English teacher. I said, Miss Elta, I love you. And she said, uh, <laughs> she said, Nikki Harris, did you get saved? <laughs> oh, wow. I, I said, well, I, I guess I must have. And, uh, so about three days later, I sensed God wanted me to just share his love for the rest of my life through uh, teaching the Bible and preaching. And so I, I joyfully said, Lord, if you want me to preach, I'll preach. And, uh, uh, I was the, probably the least likely candidate to be a preacher. I was very, very shy and, and, uh, had a little bit of a, uh, a lisp and, uh, stuttering issues. But, uh, I said, Lord, if you want me to preach, I will. And my, I was a senior in high school and my uh, driver's ed teacher. I, t of course I told everybody at school, God wants me to preach. God wants me to preach. And, uh, and uh, my driver's ed teacher said, well, I'll, I'll get you a place to preach. And he uh, scheduled me on uh, April the 9th, 1961 to preach my first sermon, at a little church called Hickory Valley Baptist church. And, uh, I preached my very first sermon on that day. So that's how long ago it's been. It's been, uh, uh, 62 years, 62 years ago this past April. And, uh, I, I preached on hell. I didn't know anything else to preach about. I thought that's what preachers are supposed to do. <laughs> so, uh, 
but I, I emphasize that God loves us so much. He doesn't want us to go to that awful place. And so, uh, so that's, that's kind of a, a summary of it. Then uh, I went off to college the next year, went to union university in Jackson, Tennessee. And uh, I, I went and told the pastor at the first Baptist church in Jackson that I wanted to preach. And he said, well, we have a little mission, uh, South Royal Baptist mission. If you'd like to be the pastor there, and so that's that was my first church that I pastored. I was just had just turned 18 years old. I feel so sorry for those poor people. <laughs> and, and you're a, a, a kid preacher that didn't know much. And uh, so if uh, if Billy Graham hadn't written some good books uh, on, uh, I wouldn't have known what to preach because I'd never really studied the Bible. It's but, a heck uh, of a run, 60 yeah. plus years. Yeah, one, of the, one of the conversations I had recently was with my very first friend in life. His mm-hmm. name's Ross Jackson. And yeah. at the start of the call, I, I let him know, I'm like, Ross, I'm going to talk, talk to you about this whole, it's not my credit to take thing. And the question I want you to answer at the end of it is, am I crazy? <laughs> And we get to the end of the call. Unfortunately, he's like, no, Ed, you're not crazy. Other people might think you're crazy, but you're not crazy. You're being called. Yeah. And you know, this, this is a ministry of sorts. And like you, it's like, I'm the last person to ever, ever start anything like that. Did you have anyone, especially in the early days, look at you, look at the version of yourself that was 17 or so years old and think that you were a lunatic uh probably but if they did they didn't tell me you know i had uh uh, i think maybe there were times i wondered about it myself uh, (laughs) uh, my classmates uh all my classmates uh seemed to be thrilled that i had uh gone into the ministry they 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 were shocked because i was i was really really a wallflower i kind of stayed back and didn't have much to do with anybody. And I, I couldn't even explain a problem on the board because I was so shy. But, uh, and so they thought it was pretty amazing. And I actually got to preach in my high school uh, as, a, cool. as a senior in high school and everybody was shocked. And, uh, and I got to preach a little uh, revival meeting uh, out at Dixie Hills Baptist church when I was just 18 years old. And we had like 22 of my classmates who came to Christ that week and including my own brother, my, my brother, who's just younger than me. And it was a glorious experience, a way, a good, great way to start off. Yeah, uh, no doubt. No doubt about it. Now, willing ministry. What was your, was your mom a believer? Was your dad a believer? What was that dynamic like in your, you know, both, both of them would have said they were believers. Uh, uh, they, they did attend church some. We didn't go. We weren't, uh, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night kind of folks. But we uh, we did go some. And uh, uh, but my my mother, she she prayed and she talked to me about Jesus. She was thrilled when I was, became a preacher and she loved to come hear me preach. My dad had started drinking pretty much by that time. And uh, and so he didn't. Uh, he, he didn't come much. And when I went off to college, uh, I was still just 17 when I left to go to college. And uh, 
I rarely went home. Uh, now, my mother would come see me <laughs> at the college, which was only 26 miles from where I live. But uh, she would come. I was a cross-country runner, and I was involved in a lot of activities in school. And she would come to, uh, to events, and she'd come visit from time to time. She and my dad separated uh, after a while, and they never did get a divorce, but they didn't live together much for the last you know, 30 years really, or 25 years of their marriage. And that was as really caused by your dad's alcoholism. Is that correct? Right. Now I will, I'll tell you a story that was very meaningful to me. I had attended a seminar and, and, uh, I was about 26 years old and, uh, uh, I had always blamed my dad for things being bad between us, but God showed me at that seminar that I had been an ungrateful son mm. and, uh, I had, uh, I had never thought of me doing anything wrong. You know, I thought my dad, his drinking is what made everything bad. And so, but God convicted me that I needed to go tell my dad and ask him to forgive me for being an ungrateful son. And uh, so uh, he lived 500 miles away from where I was at the time, but I drove up there and, and on the way I prayed that he would be sober when I got there. And I, in my mind, I kind of had a, uh, a little uh, theatrical thing going. There's how it would be. I thought I'm going to get to the door and knock on the door. He's going to come to the door and he'll be shocked. And he'll say, well, son, what are you doing here? And I'll say, oh, well, Dad, I just, uh, God has shown me that I was an ungrateful son, and I want to ask you to forgive me for being an ungrateful son. And, of course, his next line was going to be, well, son, you were actually a pretty good son. I, I'm the one. <laughs> father. So, so I got there, knocked on the door. He opened it, and uh, uh, he said, well, son, what are you doing here? And I said, well, Dad, God has shown me that I had been a very ungrateful son, and I just want to come ask you to forgive me. And he missed his next line. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and he said, son, you really were an ungrateful son. <laughs> then he began to enumerate times <laughs> I had heard him, and uh, all this was still on the front porch. And uh, uh, he said, I remember that time I came to hear you preach <clears throat> at Dixie Hills and you got up and told everybody how grateful you were for your mother and how grateful you were for different ones, and how much you appreciated Brother McKinney. But he said, you never mentioned me. And <laughs> was your dad, was your dad able to forgive that? He was. In fact, he said, son, I do forgive you. And he said, come on in the house. And I went in and we talked for the rest of the night, really. And uh, through that night, he said, uh, he said, I need to ask you to forgive me, too. And, and of course, I'd come prepared to do that. And uh, then uh, uh, he moved back to Tennessee where I was pastoring. And I ended up baptizing my dad about six oh, wow. months. Yeah, so hang on just one second. Uh, I'm sorry. To, I'm going to have to lock my dog up. <laughs> no problem. For those who 
aren't watching this on YouTube, the the dog is at it again. I I had set the dog treats down on the floor so they would not be in the line of sight of the camera. And my dog found that a very pleasant uh, place for the dog treats to be. The dog's having a good morning there, Pastor Nick. He's loving this. What a powerful moment you had with your dad to be able to baptize him six months after that conversation. Um, But backing up to that conversation, where where was the director to cut? Because your dad clearly missed his line. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow or another, he never got this full script. And, uh, but it was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. Now I I wish I could say that the story ended with an absolute wonderful, positive storybook ending. My dad did start drinking again years later. And, uh, but for about 18 months, he was a member of my church and, uh, he went with me on youth retreats. He helped me with prepare men's breakfast and everything, but he went to the VA hospital to have some teeth pulled. And while he was there, they got him really, really uh, all hepped up on some drugs. And when he came out of the hospital, he started drinking again. And, uh, and so uh, he, he, when I preached his funeral, I, I, I told everybody, I said, I'm actually preaching the funeral of two men today, one before alcohol and one after alcohol, because he, before alcohol, he was a, outstanding uh highly respected hard-working man so and yeah. uh, so I, i'm pretty negative about alcohol by the way I, I i would imagine so the you had referenced earlier that your mom and dad separated they never got divorced but they separated and they lived apart in your life you've been married for 58 years right and I, un- I understand when we spoke during our introductory conversation that you do premarital counseling. Right. What, what would you tell a young man uh, who's about to get married, what it takes to have a successful marriage? Because by any measurable standard, you've had a successful marriage. How do you, how do you approach that conversation and how do you work with young men to be able to show up uh, in their marriages better. Yeah. Well, I, I go through a pretty lengthy process actually, the, uh, in a premarital thing, but, the, I suppose the, uh, bottom line of it is to always put Jesus first, love him more than you love your wife and make sure your wife loves him more than she loves you. And, uh, if, uh, I personally don't give a whole lot of, uh, hope, to couples that marry without Jesus at the cornerstone of their marriage. Uh, today, especially, uh, I see a lot more, a lot more couples that I don't have much hope for, uh, when, uh, if, if they're not willing to, uh, to really put Jesus at the center, uh, I know that the world and the self and, and Satan, will bombard them and very, very few. I don't know any that can really stand up to that kind of pressure without Jesus. It's like the Jesus talking about the house built on the rock and the house built on sand. And if, if our house is not built on the rock of Jesus, uh, I tell you, the winds are going to blow and the rains are going to come. The floods are going to rise. And 
uh, there's not much hope for that house to stand. So when you reference societal pressures, even as believers, we were subjected to that as well. How are you able to navigate within your own marriage the changing nature of society and culture? Because you've, you, you've seen a lot, you know, going back to civil rights in the 1960s through you know, the hippies in the 1970s. You know, there's been war or threats of war throughout your entire life. You know, in addition to contemporary culture where you know, we're in, you know, at the time of this recording, we're in June and you know, our society gives an entire month to something that could not be more antithetical to God. Yeah. How have you been able to navigate that both in your life and in your marriage? Yeah. Well, I, I would say that it has been through the scripture, you know, just, just trying to, uh, of course, I love the word of God. Uh, it is the word of God. It's not the book of the month or the book of the year. It's the eternal book of the ages. And, and so my wife and I determined when we first met and married that we would build our home on uh, Jesus and his word. And, uh, and, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, in that story that Jesus told, the, the house built on the rock had the same rain fell on it, the same floods and the same winds. <clears throat> the difference was not in the external pressures. The difference was on the, the foundation. Hmm. So that's, that's I mean, uh, 58 years, we've had, a, we've certainly had, the pressures we've had everything from financial to, I mean, I, I actually was, uh, was asked to leave three different churches, uh, early on in my ministry over the race issue. Uh, I, I, I told you that the night I got saved, God just filled me with love and that love didn't have a racial, uh, distinction. It was, uh, mm -hmm. just as much love for people of color as it was for, uh, white people like me, you know, and so as I began to preach, I began to, to it was during the 60s and uh, all the uh, civil rights issues. And I began to preach that we are to love all people. And uh, that got me in a lot of trouble. That, uh, in fact, as far as I know, the little mission that I pastored was the first integrated Baptist church in Tennessee. Wow. <clears throat> we invited some uh, black people to come and, and uh, sit in our congregation with us. And whenever the uh, powers that be heard that we had invited black people into our church, they, uh, they fired me basically. And, uh, and that happened really in the next two churches that I pastored. So what, what you're describing is your pursuit of integrating within the congregation immaterial of of gender or race or ethnicity and the to use your words the powers that be mm -hmm. uh, fellow believers I would assume right. pushed back to the point where you were ousted. That's right. So how would you describe? You know, me, and I don't know where the starting point was. It, it certainly wasn't in the 1960s. It was certainly before that. 
But how would you describe the state of the church from the time you started pastoring to today? Well, I, I think it has it has changed. Obviously, there has been uh, uh, some pretty radical growth in the area of uh, race relations. Uh, it didn't come easily, though. I mean, it was uh, went through that those turbulent years of the of the '60s and and even the '70s. But I I think the uh, the the Jesus movement in the early '70s uh, had a, a powerful influence in helping. Uh, Baptist churches, that's the ones I'm most familiar with, be a little bit more open and accepting. And they allowed, uh, uh, they, they welcomed some uh, barefooted hippies and things like that, and, and then, uh, which I, I greatly loved. I probably would have been a hippie if I hadn't got saved when I was 17. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I had a lot of sympathy for, the, for their movement. And, and had a lot of them came to Christ. I pastored a church in Halls, Tennessee, and we had in, in the early 70s, and we had a whole contingent of, of uh, they call them hippies, who came to know Christ during that time that I've, I've mentored and, and uh, monitored for uh, over 50 years now. And uh, nice. so, so I think the church... Uh, had to change, it, you know, there, there are some of them that, that didn't change and probably there's still some in Tennessee and Mississippi and Alabama, maybe that still are as hard line as they used to be, but, but that number is dwindling and those congregations are dying. And, uh, uh, most of the churches have become much more, uh, uh, mission minded, open minded, uh, willing to, willing to accept people of, of all, of all races and colors. And uh, I love the little church I pastor. We have uh, Hispanics and we have blacks and we have uh, just every, uh, it was a wonderful mix. So with that increased inclusivity, some may argue that that should extend to folks that identify as transgender Mm -hmm. or folks that are homosexual, that the church should really flex in, mm -hmm. in a manner of speaking in order to be accepting of the, those lifestyle choices. And yet the scriptures are clear mm -hmm. that that is anti-God. Yes. How, how do you help people reconcile that? Because it seems like it's irreconcilable. Yeah. Well, I think you, again, you have to stand on the scripture. I would say that people of color didn't choose to be that color. So that it was not a lifestyle choice for blacks or Hispanics and so forth. Uh, it is a lifestyle choice for people who uh, choose uh, to violate God's word in their sexual uh, behavior. It's just, it's just as sinful for a, uh, uh, a man to have sex before he's married and or to have sex after he's married with some woman he's not married to as it is for a man to have sex with a man. I mean, that all those are sexual sins. All of them are clearly defined and clearly denounced in the scripture. So if somebody comes to me and says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm gay. Uh, how do you feel about me? I say, well, I love you. I, I, I want to help you. 
And I want to, I want you to learn how to walk in victory over sin, just like uh, I would want you to help me walk in victory over sin. And, uh, and I have, I actually have many gay friends and uh, they love me and, and uh, they know I love them and they know that my desire is to help them come out of that practice, that behavior. And I, I personally don't, I don't know that uh, some of them that I'm thinking of right now, I, I don't know that they can help feeling some of the feelings that they have. I don't know that they can choose to suddenly uh, be heterosexual in their thinking. Uh, maybe they, maybe it is locked in. I, you know, I know there's argument as to whether they're born that way or if they become that way. I, and I, I, I guess the jury's still out on that, but it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I mean, you know, uh, if the Bible says something is sinful, then no matter how I feel about it, I have to renounce it. I have to say, I can't practice that. And, you know, I might say, Hey, you know, I really love to shoplift. It's just kind of built into me. And I don't by the way, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, I've, I've known people who were kleptomaniacs, you know, and they say, well, it's just the way I am. I say, well, it doesn't really matter how you are. The Bible says that it's wrong to steal. So stop it. And, uh, so, uh, if a person comes to me and many have and said, you know, I have no, I have no interest in, in the opposite sex. One, one young man that's dear friend of mine. I, I love him dearly. He said, you know, I could be in the, uh, cowboy cheerleaders locker room. They could be changing clothes and it wouldn't affect me at all. But he wow. said, I can see Brad Pitt take his shirt off and I, and it just ignites a fire in me. And I say, well, I, there's no way I can identify with that at all. But it, I can say this, uh, when the Bible says something is sinful, then God says he will provide the grace for us to overcome it. Where sin abounds, whether it's homosexual sin or heterosexual sin or lying sin or whatever it is, anger, sin, where sin abounds, grace super abounds. And so there's always grace to overcome whatever the temptation is. Yeah. Everything that you just said, there's a segment of our society that would say you are speaking violently. Yeah. Now I, I completely disagree with that um, yeah. and am aligned with everything that you, you'd said. And it occurs to me, and I don't know if this is true. So this is just one person's observation that over the past, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years or over the past couple of generations, it's like we're, Christians have become weak mm -hmm. and in, in their stance on certain things. And Jesus was clear that he came with a sword right. and in rereading Matthew a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that I, it, it dawned on me is that when we read, when he was chastising the Pharisees and the hypocrites, we can't possibly replicate the intensity of that moment that's right right we can't possibly recreate the intensity when he walked into the temple and was flipping over tables and not concerned about what toes the tables landed on 
That's right. How can we get back as a, as a church, as a society where we, we stand up unapologetically and live by and through the Great Commission? Yeah. Well, again, I think it all centers on we, we have to have the word of God as our as our instructional manual, as our truth. You know, it is the truth. God's word is truth. And and I would say, by the way, that the, the gay friends that I have, uh, they do not think that I'm speaking violently. They they know that I love them and they know that the reason that I hate sin is because of what it does to people. And uh, I've told many of them, you know, uh, this idea, love the sinner and hate the sin. I say the reason that I hate the sin is because I love the sinner. Mm. Uh, Sin is, is what's violent. Sin is what brings destruction. And the Bible clearly says in that there is a way that seems right to a man. It feels right. And that's what my gay friends say. Well, it just feels right. And I say, yeah, but the Bible says uh, the end of that way is destruction. It's damage. It's pain. And, and, uh, and I would say that the gay friends that I have are unhappy people. They are, Mm -hmm. they, they struggle. And, uh, and so they, they know that I love them and, uh, and they, they know the reason I hate their sin is the same reason I hate my sin, because it is damaging and destructive to, to people that God loves. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's confusing. It, it's yeah, confusing yeah. To, to a lot of people, and especially, and I don't want to discount the confusion women have. But mm-hmm. it, neither you nor I can relate to what it's like being a woman, right. despite what contemporary society says we're, we're capable of doing. And my wife keeps me pretty well informed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, after fifty-eight years, I, I, I bet you know you you know all the rules there. Um, if you were raising a young man today, let's say you had a, a twelve or thirteen-year-old son, how mm-hmm. would you help him navigate the proverbial cultural landmines to help uh, uh, you know alleviate the confusion and find find his purpose or mission in life yeah well i i would love him i would try to spend quality time with him i would uh try to immerse him in the word of god i would try to take him with me to visit hospitals and to visit mental hospitals and to visit jails and things like that i would try to show him the benefits of walking in truth. Uh, I would encourage him to read uh, biographies, uh, especially biographies, missions, missionary biographies. And, and uh, uh, I, I would let him know that, you know, we have three great enemies and that Satan is a deceiver and a liar and that the world is going crazy and that uh, the flesh and self drive is so strong and i would uh i would try to teach him how to how to wield the weapons to fight those three enemies and uh the uh the only thing satan ever runs from is the word of god so i would want my son to be 
immersed in the word of God. And I would talk a lot about swordsmanship and, and uh, using that. And then the, the, the thing that really overcomes the world is our faith and our fellowship. You know, if we have a good, strong group of like-minded uh, brothers, that helps. And then the only thing that overcomes the self is the cross die to self. And so that, that's what I would do. And, uh, and then I would just pray. I would just absolutely pray for God to give strength. There is, there is no guarantee that I know of that any Christian father and mother, uh, can, protect their son and daughter from uh, ultimately from sin. That has to be something they do in their own heart and mind. I, I, I have wonderful Christian friends whose sons and daughters have walked away from the faith, especially in the last few years. And then I have some whose parents were really, really sorry parents and they are walking with the Lord. So, mm. Uh, I wish I could say, here's the box. If you do it this way, it'll guarantee, you know, that your kids are going to love Jesus and walk in truth. Uh, I hadn't found that box. Yeah. And there's, we all know as parents, there's no guidebook to it. I often refer to certain things like, oh, that was supposed to be in that chapter that was never written in the book that was never yeah. published. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. One of the things that I came across a few days ago was this research study that showed that y more young people today are turning towards Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you, because you had referenced the world has gone nuts. And in many ways, the world is, is just mm -hmm. insane. And yet there's actual research that's showing signs mm -hmm. or potential signs of a revival of sorts. Yeah. Do you, do you see that? Or do you think we are, we are legitimately like knocking on the door of revelation and there's no hope uh, for revival? No, I believe there is hope. In fact, I believe that this generation that's coming up, they call them Gen Z, you know, or the next generation. I think so many of them have seen the emptiness and the loneliness uh, and even social media has, I think, contributed to some of that. And and they've seen it in their parents and their friends. And I think some of them are beginning to say uh, maybe Jesus is the answer. And again, boy, I loved it back in the 70s when, you know, we were coming out of the turbulent 60s. And uh, uh, who would have ever thought that that? out of the seventies, there would be a, a sweeping revolution of uh, new, new life in Christ, but it happened. It happened. Now it didn't, didn't last, didn't last into the eighties. So many of those folks that got saved in the seventies, they got sidetracked in the eighties as the uh, money and things like that began to press in on. But, uh, but I, I believe we are really ripe for a new, a new wave of God. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that, I pray for that every day. I really do. Yeah. yeah if, there's, if there's one thing to pray for, it's mm -hmm. that. Pastor Nick, you devoted your life to Jesus when you were 17, and you've been a pastor for 60-plus years. Right. It, 
it, now I get that this question may be difficult to answer. It's a large sample size, but if you if you had to identify those things, those moments that you would love to relive in a, in a, in a positive way, what would, what would those be? Yeah. Well, you know, for me, there are a lot of positive things that I, I would enjoy reliving just because I enjoyed them so much. But the truth is that if I were to able to go back and, and relive something, it would probably be the areas where I felt like I had failed areas mm. where I felt like maybe I had made a bad choice or, uh, particularly in the area of uh, 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 staffing, uh, dealing with staff members that, that maybe I, I made a choice that I, I look back on. And I think, well, I wish I'd have, wish I'd have tried that a different way. You know, that, that would be, uh, I, I would enjoy reliving my successes, but I would desire to relive my mistakes. <laughs> love that. That's so good. I love how you phrased that. Well, this, this has been an awesome conversation before, before we end it, you last year, you published a devotional commentary on the book of Proverbs called posting through Proverbs. Right. Can you, can you talk about how people can get a copy of that? Yeah, I, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, uh, that would probably be the best way. But, uh, uh, when I retired from, Ovilla Road Baptist Church about 13 years ago, I wanted to continue to have a ministry. And so I just started doing a, a daily post uh, uh, from the book of Proverbs. I started with chapter one, verse one, and I went all the way through the book. And and so uh, uh, that when I different people would say to me and say, you ought to put this in a book, you ought to put this in a book. And and of course, my wife was the main one kept emphasizing it. And I try to obey her as much as I can. <laughs> and uh, that, that's another secret to 58 years. And uh, but uh, uh, I did. And and it has been a blessing to a lot of people. And it was a blessing to me to do it. So uh, uh, the book of Proverbs is just principles for for good living, you know. And uh, so I and by the way, the. Uh, I started a, a podcast called Nick Snacks. It's N-I-C-K-S-N-A-C-K-S, Nick Snacks. I said in the very first episode, there's not a full meal here, just a snack. And <laughs> are like uh, uh, 90 seconds to 120 seconds, just a couple of minutes. And it actually is the, uh, it's me reading that book, uh, posting through Proverbs. So if you go to, uh, I think it's, uh, Oh, what is the, uh, uh, hmm. I can't think of it, <laughs> I can't think of what it is now, but it, it's a, a, a major. So uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Yeah, yeah, Spotify. That's the way if you go to Spotify and just type in Nick Snacks, you'll get the entire book. You won't even have to buy the book. You can just listen to me read it. There you uh, go. 90 seconds at a time. 90 <laughs> seconds at a time. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Nick, for well, thank you, this yes. time. I really enjoy your podcast, Well, I listen to it every week, and uh, I just uh, I, I I went back to number one and just kind of moved on up through it. And uh, I encourage other people to do the same. Yeah, so I appreciate you doing that uh, very much. Before we wrap, would you mind closing us in prayer? I'd love to. <clears throat> 
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your marvelous grace. Lord, uh, it's impossible for us to even imagine how much you love us. Your word tells us that uh, it's beyond our the, the height and the length and the breadth and the depth of it is just beyond our imagination. But I pray that you'll help us to try to take that in as much as we can to grow in understanding of your love and grow in grace. And Father, I do pray for, uh, for our nation. I pray especially for our youth culture today. I know that so many of them have so many wounds and they're living in a, a, a time of loneliness and confusion. And uh, they're hearing lies from every corner. And I just pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you will uh, uh, invade their hearts and minds like you did mine 63 years ago. And I just pray, Father, that you will, uh, will turn their hearts to you. And I ask your blessings, especially on our nation at this time. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Pastor Nick, thank you again. I really enjoyed the time. Right. So have I. Thank you. God bless. You can contact the show at itsnotmycredittotake.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.